From Moby.co, this is the Flagship Pod, a weekly podcast about the economy, the stock market, and the various market forces that power the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, finally bringing back our regularly scheduled program. Ladies and gentlemen, Justin Kramer, our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst, is back. Justin, dude, so glad to have you back. What's up, man? How's it been? Good, good. I'm excited to be back. A lot to talk about today. Um... There, there's obviously a lot going on in the markets right now, but it's summer. It's a good time to, uh, if you're ever going to take a break, good time to just do your education now, learn what's going on, because the fall and the winter is going to be set to be crazy. Exactly. The main thing about the market is we kind of take this lull in August, and then the minute Labor Day hits, we all collectively, as a country, sprint to Christmas, or, you know, Black Friday, basically. So a lot to cover from that end right there. But it's also, for August audience, you've obviously seen us covering a lot of long-term narratives. We'll be covering those. We'll be covering a lot of, like, macro stuff as well. But let's just start off by just saying Sleepy August has ended with a hammer, uh, just Jerome Powell came out from Jackson Hole, uh, kind of like Groundhog Day, and said, no, we're going to keep raising rates, y'all, and the market is not responding well. What do you think about this, Justin? Like, how's this bull period been in August for you? And how do you think about J- Jerome Powell remaining hawkish despite everything going on? Yeah, the, the bull period's been interesting. So we obviously had Jerome Powell, and if you don't know this, about a month ago, say to everyone that he sees an end to the interest rate rising. Um, And that's what kind of spurred this bull run we've seen over the last month or so. Um, Not necessarily saying that things are running anytime soon, but the fact that he is saying there's an end in sight made investors just very happy. That's why we saw a bunch of stocks go flying upwards. And it's one of those things, too, when there's just not going to be any actually bad news until the middle of September when we get an idea of where inflation is. Meanwhile, at the same time, the market is just trying to trying to get as much kind of value out of this bear period as possible, which has been artificially inflating prices. So we're at this period where we're not going to get any kind of real genuine answers until A, midway through September, and then B, once earnings season hits in October. So what we're seeing now is just a lot of just like long-term narratives. What we're seeing right now is the market just trying to maintain any semblance of good vibes and you're just you know watching people buy up and buy up but of course that is entirely driven by hype and not fundamentals which is why even the smallest hint of bad news can completely snap this little bull period we saw it's not quite back to bear territory yet so don't celebrate just too soon if you're in the bear zone y'all but it's really interesting to see exactly where we are in this, right? And so I guess the other thing too is just talking about where we are in the macro environment because there's been a lot of awesome news this week that is potentially, you know, good, bad, or so-so. I've been trying to make sense of the market's response to the announcement that uh, Joe Biden's administration is going to be forgiving $10,000 of student loans or $20,000 if you've gotten Pell Grants. Um, And my entire position has been in SoFi on that and I've been watching SoFi either A, pop 8% or only go or go down 6%. It's uh, up 2% on the week. So Justin, I'd love to get your view here because this is a very complex financial topic. I thought student loan forgiveness meant bank apocalypse, especially for a, a stock like SoFi, which relies so heavily on what is it called student loans and student loan fees. So what are we looking at here in terms of like the market's response to um, this kind of income stream being taken out of the market or more liquidity being entered into the market from the bottom upside? Like it's, it's very confusing. It's all very much political noise right now. Would love your perspective in terms of like what the actual fundamental here will be and how this can potentially shake out. Yeah, so a lot of this has been kind of priced into SoFi for some time to a certain extent, obviously not the loan forgiveness per se, but SoFi is down like 
60, I mean, I'm sorry, like over 70% from its all-time high. Um, so for a while now, the Biden administration has been pushing this like student loan moratorium into like perpetuity. It's supposed to end one month, it gets pushed to another month, that month gets pushed to another month, and so on and so forth. And so it's given a lot of investors pause into thinking, you know, this probably is never going to get paid back or it's going to get pushed so far down the road that a lot of the future revenue streams associated with SoFi would likely just uh, essentially evaporate or just be pushed years out. And so over the last five days, the stock's up 2% roughly. Um, and it's just, again, being priced into what's already going on. Uh, the 10,000 forgiveness, what we're hearing so far is likely to be kind of um, potentially the final stage in this. So give some investors some forward-looking hope that whatever happens next is good for SoFi's business. Again, it's too early to say right now, but even with the stock reacting positively over the last few days, it's still so so much down over the last year that we, we still need more news before we can definitively say one way or another. Exactly. And so it's one of those things, too, where we have to see where this shakes out, because this is this is not going to be a big test or anything for inflation heads. Like, we're still trying to assess exactly what is contributing more to this inflationary environment. Is it just supply-side situations where in energy costs and supply chain costs got so high that everything got expensive, and therefore that's why inflation was up? Or is it also monetary policy, since we had not only um, uh, the $2,000 checks that came out a bunch in 2020 and 2021, but the payment protection program loan? which all just kind of got forgiven. So the main question moving forward is going to be, where exactly are we in this inflationary environment? Is it being driven by monetary policy? Is it something that Jerome Powell can actually solve by, you know, freezing the markets? Or is this something that we just have to kind of wait for supply chains to shake out? No matter where we are in that conversation, both things look kind of goofy right now because uh, natural gas prices are popping off again as Russia is freezing. Um temporarily freezing supply to europe that's cool awesome love that love how that situation is going so now natural gas can start driving the bus as oil prices continue to fall in terms of making everything more expensive there's a lot of little factors there and so we're still going to wait for that to shake out but we're not going to get any definitive answer until we see uh inflation the cpi come in round about mid-september so a lot of this is going to be not necessarily spinning our wheels but kind of looking into okay if we can't watch the market short term if we're still in a kind of a gray zone in regards to inflation where exactly are we like is this is was this bull run justified is this overall bear environment justified big old question marks right there so justin let's get into those long-term narratives then let's kind of look ahead and see where the overall market is going so we can still make some of these long-term bets we've been going back and forth a bunch in terms of what we're seeing like in the next 10 years of government investment you had a really solid analysis on lockheed martin a little bit back in the day we then put out an update for plug power which continues to pop off now that amazon is also jumping on the plug power train and then to this week we also started to talk about the flip side of the lockheed martin equation which is reshoring and so we put out a, an analysis on rockwell automation which stands to benefit from a lot of jobs coming back to america but i, I would love to get like your high level view i know i'm the one who did this analysis here, but we, this is something we've been talking about a bunch. When you look at things like people become uh, nations becoming more self-reliant, getting a little bit more protectionist, is there anything else we can look at in terms of investment returning to America? Is it just, you know, American companies bringing jobs back, or is it going to be foreign investment that drives the bus here? It's, a, it's an interesting point. It's something we've been like talking about for a while is this whole nation of bringing things, or whole notion rather, of bringing things back on shore. Um, you know, 
back when China was first emerging as an economy and people were exploiting trade there. The world started moving towards this globalization effort where you could export a lot of things to Mexico, to China, to other parts of the world where labor were cheaper so that companies, A, could give things to consumer at lower prices, but also increase their profitability. And it worked really well for a long time. And it's not that it's not working well per se anymore, but people are starting to see a lot of issues with all these global trade and being so reliant on other countries for your product. So it first started in the pandemic with a lot of our goods being shipped from overseas and built overseas. And so when China took a really hard standpoint on COVID and said, if there's even an ounce of COVID somewhere, we're going to shut down. Well, a lot of the companies that source materials, source goods from China, ultimately found themselves at the mercy of of China's government, which became a pretty big issue for these globalization efforts. And then that really got amplified during like this war right now with Russia and Ukraine, where Russia is a major exporter of energy to Europe um, and the rest of the world. And so in Europe in particular, you're seeing gas prices that are just astronomically high because the availability of energy in these countries is just so low and so reliant on other countries. So what's happening is you're seeing a lot of companies realize that they need to bring some of these things back on shore and not necessarily for profit, long-term profitability, but more so from the standpoint of just long-term sustainability. If a war breaks out, if famine breaks out, if a pandemic breaks out, if just anything breaks out, companies and governments do not want to be reliant on other, on other powers that be and beholden to them to ultimately get what they need. And so, yes, we're not going to shut down and go pure isolationist and never trade with anyone again. But there's going to be much more of an effort to create things onshore and not because they necessarily want to say it's American made or put jobs here, but it's so that these products can be sustainable and we don't have to worry about any external conflicts going outside of our walls. And so what we look for there then is opportunities as countries try to find those moments where they can establish more of that food security, so to speak, because that is definitely the next big worry as we kind of look forward to harvest season, as we look for crop yields, because one thing we are seeing a bunch is that, you know, first of all, a huge amount of the world's wheat supply is tied up in that war and then a potentially world saving amount of wheat kind of got blown out by a heat dome that hit India a little bit earlier in the year and so the main question is are we going to see food prices go up right now it's not looking like that but the other key indicator is a natural gas is also essential for manufacturing ammonia which makes nitrogen fertilizers which is the single most important chemical on the planet that we manufacture right now considering that all of the nitrogen we have is not like literally usable and the other big thing that nobody talks about is that uh russia is also one of the top suppliers of phosphorus because siberia is just full of bogs that are full of dead things and so you find a lot of phosphorus up there which is also essential to maintain crop yields at a good level right so we're not necessarily saying that food prices are going to go up but it is an indicator that we are watching as well and so as you look at that you're also watching companies either try to find ways to explore more of those resources within their borders like no one's mining for phosphorus here in america that much right now and no there's no real indication that's going to happen but that's what we're looking at too just trying to see you know those commodities those assets as their prices either rise or fall it's really good the genuine good sign not to completely jump ship here but one good sign is seeing how far down lumber prices have gone because we thought those were going to be absolutely out of hand by now and they're at least a little bit more under control which can kind of help 
with building, which kind of gets us to the next kind of long-term narrative. As rates as rates continue to rise, the other slow narrative that's building up here, Justin, is we're seeing uh, a mortgage rates go up, and then b houses few, fewer and fewer houses are finally being bought, and we found a way to finally like slow our roll on the housing market. So the main question there's a lot of you know alarmists at least on Twitter saying, oh God, we're in for a housing crash. Is that founded at all um or is it just one of those things where housing prices were just deeply overinflated by like a lack of supply and now we're getting back to more natural levels yeah i don't, I don't think we're by any means <laughs> in a, you know people are freaking out about the housing market have things slowed down 100 percent they have but you compare that to like the 30-year averages and they're still extremely elevated it's similar to like interest rates in general. People are freaking out that interest rates are so high. But if you look back the last 50 years, they're still close to like historical lows, like in respectively. So I think that's something that like people need to be very aware of. Are things slowing down? Yes, they inevitably will slow down as rates increase. It's just the, one of the most directly caused things of raising rates is this slowdown in mortgages taken out. Um, but it, but it's still really high. If you look at homes being sold, if you look at the value of homes in the US across markets, they're still really high. They're down from their all-time highs, but they're still really high. And so if the Fed continues to raise rates, rates go up, I mean, they'll continue to come down, but there's no reason to believe that there'll be this massive housing recession that we saw in 2007, 2008. I mean, that was just structurally so different and was built on predatory lending and subprime mortgages and all these other issues. That's not going on today. I mean, there could be some sort of black swan event happening behind the scenes that no one in the world is aware of. But when we look at the housing market today and we look at all the numbers, structurally, everything is exactly where it should be. Um, I, the, the news in terms of selling this hype on that we're in this massive housing recession is just, it's so far overblown. Which is awesome to hear. Of course, the only other actual like property crisis we're worried about is whatever's going on in China, but we're seeing some positive indicators there. So, I mean, I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert in Chinese macroeconomics, so that's just something we're going to be watching for. Not necessarily a black swan event, but more trouble in terms of how China is going to, you know, manage their monetary system with their ridiculous, absolutely wild glut of property of property and just kind of like small property issues there's not gonna be like a lehman brothers situation over yonder but it's one of those things where it's kind of hard to see and so that kind of gets us to the back half here justin as we slowly but surely you know, begin to understand where we're moving in terms of what september is going to be like what this is all going to be like and so now that we've had like at least 30 minutes to digest jerome powell's comments um any idea do we have any indication of how we believe uh, inflation is going to peak out. If he's going to say we're going to continue raising rates for some time, does that mean, you know, uh, we can hopefully see rates uh, taper off around about like the end of this year? Or do you, do you potentially see uh, the Fed continuing to raise rates like even into early next year? It really just all depends on how much inflation comes back to their 2% target and how and the magnitude of how quickly it moves down. Um, right now, I mean, again, things are starting to trend in the right direction, but they're still very, very elevated. And the Fed has reiterated today, like they've been saying over the last year, that this is their number one effort or something they want to solve this problem of high inflation. So a lot of it just depends on how inflation plays out. And predicting inflation month to month numbers is a really, really tough game to play. They even said during their speech today that their typical ways of like ultimately helping combat inflation is on the demand side. 
and you know they can continue to hammer home the demand side via raising interest rates as much as they can. But at the end of the day, this this is mostly a supply side issue. Until supply chains get fixed, until things are brought back on shore, inflation can only go down so much. So I think this is going to be a problem for longer than most people care to admit. Um, but saying how long is, I mean, it, it's impossible. Exactly. And so that kind of always is going to be the, the line here until the CPI itself comes out. It's one of those things where literally nobody can predict where exactly inflation is going to be. And everything depends on how the market is going to react to inflation as it is right now. And so as you watch this, the main thing is to find these long-term narratives, find fundamentals you like, and kind of like ride the wave, so to speak, in terms of like if your portfolio is going up and down, you know, dollar cost averaging into positions you already like, companies you believe in long-term. And the other the, the other solution is obviously just being a long-term investor. Like your 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 stocks will go up and down. Your My, our, my portfolio is noisy, maybe him right now um frankly there's just it's going in a million different directions because so many companies in this economy are going in millions of different directions and so that kind of gets us we're nearing the end here justin and that kind of gets us to a couple of audience questions we did have so we've been talking a lot about long-term narratives and a lot of those narratives have focused on government investment and one thing we haven't really talked that much about is the chips act that passed a little while back where we're trying to bring you know semiconductor manufacturing back here to america there hasn't been a lot of like positive motion in terms of companies popping off from that so far. So is there anything that you see, like, is it one of those things where are we looking for an American manufacturer to swap out some of our NVIDIA position for? Or is it one of those things that we need to see how it kind of shakes out before we over-invest in it, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, we definitely need to see in some capacity how it shakes out just because right now so much of, like, chip manufacturing is done offshores. I mean, AMD, which is one of the larger ones in the U.S., um, they don't even like really make their own chips. A lot of it is outsourced to other people uh, and manufacturers in China. So if, or sorry, in Taiwan rather. Um, so if China invades Taiwan or there's any issues, like the whole chip shortage that's going on now could really be amplified. Um, so a lot of it, I think from my perspective, wait and see. I'm not sure if you have any insights of your own. That's the main thing. Yeah, it's, it's wait and see because so much, some of, so much of it is offshore right now that we need to see actual plans. The main issue with chip manufacturing, of course, is it's just so complex to manufacture, right? And so I think the main thing that we're going to be looking at right here is we are trying just to establish who is going to be able to do this cheaply. And so therefore, you probably shouldn't even be looking at the companies that manufacture chips. You should be looking at the companies who service companies who manufacture the chips, right? You're looking for those more medium plays right now because those are going to get some of that more positive buying pressure as companies decide how they're going to move operations to the U.S. and start building chips here. And that's kind of the, the main thing is that right now in this bear period, you're looking for those boring plays, which is why our, our main analysis for this week was for Rockwell Automation. Uh, while they're not going to be doing anything for chips, so to speak, like they are the, a industrial automation powerhouse in terms of their ability to use software and industrial design to basically automate or streamline any process from uh, helping trucks pick up grain better to helping people uh, bake cookies in Kentucky a little bit more. That's their two most recent uh, case studies, as well as finding air compressor technology that can help make sure that uh, solar powers can be more efficient. Like, you can do basically anything if you're Rockwell Automation, and what we're seeing is a lot of that investment coming back to America in terms of building these more streamlined industrial processes. So we're really excited to find more of those super esoteric, boring plays for y'all audience, and that's where a bulk of our research is going to right now, finding not service providers, but service providers for 
service providers. We're deep in the boring zone, which is pretty chill since we uh, all have a lot of background in the B2B software space. So we're all about selling software that sells software for folks who sell software to other software sellers. Um, uh, a lot of the middle of our economy is deeply recursive and kind of a nightmare, but you, it's still a great place to invest um, in terms of just like what exactly it is you're doing. As always, the theme will be boring is beautiful, right? We're trying to find those mid-tier plays since all of the sort of sexier ones are uh, frothy at this time. You're seeing a lot of volatility in sort of the bigger plays, even some more established ones. And I guess that gets us, since Justin, we're right here at the end, a lot of our audience too is still trying to get your thoughts uh, on the crypto space right now. Bitcoin had a tiny little rally that got just completely cut in half today. It's now hovering around 20K. Um, is there anything we can be watching before this Ethereum merge? Or are we just, you know, literally waiting for the end of September as well on the crypto side? Yeah, the Ethereum merge is going to be interesting as well. Um, I mean, it's a long time coming at this point, And a lot of the the coins value, again, is just tied to the stock market. But I think a lot of like whatever's happening right now there in terms of the, the merge over is effectively not priced in fully. I mean, it's definitely like down more than Bitcoin. It's down more than some other coins like that's relative in size and market cap. There, There's still more to go. But by the time like the announcement is already made, if anything, I could see it you know, even reversing to some extent um, if uh, it's fully priced in by then. It's again, this is a long time coming, an event that's been talked about for a while. Um, so I don't think this is catching anyone off guard. Exactly. And so that kind of where that's where we are right now in terms of the market, right? We have priced so much in right now, audience, that there's just so little to like actually talk about and so what you're seeing is the market kind of either priced in both directions today for jerome powell's speech we're seeing a very very reactive market right now it's just a lot, a lot of capital deployed here in these markets as we think about a lot of the assets we have you've seen a huge influx into the stock market ever since 2020 and 2021 when you know the one of the biggest bull like pound for pound bull runs of all time happened. And so there's still a lot of that energy in the stock market. And that means it's going to be potentially very noisy. And so we have to be mindful of that and try to really stretch our, um, uh, we're trying to stretch our actual, um, what is it, uh, perspective here so that we're focused more on like the two to five year time scale as opposed to the month over month time scale, right? So um, when we think about that, you know, we, we're always trying to revise our predictions. So Justin, I'm just going to hit you with one quick audience question. Uh, last time you and I were on air together, we were hoping that we were, we were approaching an all-time low in the crypto space um, at 17, right? Um, when you're looking at this, do you see potentially it going even lower? Um, do you think that was our all-time low, or do you think that was that that was, or do you think we could potentially go lower than 17 if the merge goes a little bit goofy on us? Um, I mean, it's tough to say. Um... So for, wait, sorry, you said 17 like thousand for Bitcoin, right? For Bitcoin, yeah. Because everything yeah, so goes with well, Bitcoin, right? So if Ethereum goes down to like 800, Bitcoin's going to collapse as well. Not collapse, but, you know, follow it, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin was trading like in the high nines, low tens for years before this recent bull run. So there's no reason to think like it can't fall further. Having said that, like the amount of institutional capital and retail capital that's in crypto would have to be like significantly decreased relative to what the levels were then order to get back to that stage. So I feel like that'd be pretty drastic to go, you know, 17, 15 to the low teens ever again. Um, having said that, things are just, we've talked about this before, things are getting indiscriminately sold off. It doesn't matter if it has merit, it doesn't have merit. Um, if you're in a certain sector, if you're in crypto, if you're in tech, if, if you're in whatever, even if you're, you know, a, a pretty good company or a pretty good project, you're getting sold off and getting moved with the rest of the market. So 
it really creates, honestly, unreal buying opportunities over the long run because you have a lot of these stocks and coins that are down 70, 80, 90% from their all-time highs. And yes, maybe not all of them will retest their all-time highs. And even if they do, it may take years. But if something's down 70, 80%, for it to go back up to its all-time high, it has to go up four to five X. Um, and it showed that once, so there's no reason to think it can't happen again. Um, so the upside of like, of really good companies right now that have been unfairly sold off is just, in my opinion, an unbelievable buying opportunity. So I think the the better question to be asking right now is who those companies are, rather than asking what the low will be, because if it falls another 5, 10, 20%, you know, it's going to hurt, obviously, in the short run, but it's nothing relative to what it would be in the long run. And that's what I like to hear too, right? And that's what we just really have to do is just keep that long-term perspective and understand even like the boring companies are getting so oversold as people exit the market and move into, air quotes, more safer investments or just kind of liquid take profits and liquidate, right? That's why you see this like 4% pullback with plug power after it goes up 70% on the month because some people are just going to take profits at that point and walk away, right? So that's what makes me really excited too is just the potential for once we really start sorting this out, to find those moments and find those picks that really work out on the long term. And that's why you have to be a long term investor. You can't let these sort of short term froth spook you away, right? And you can't use these moments to either, you know, go into riskier bets or, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Leverage yourself to trying to think you can sort of like short your way to, to riches, right? Like the, the thing that works is these long-term investments. And so that's what we're always going to be encouraging you to do, but Justin, that is getting us very close to, to time here. So Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder and chief analyst here at Bouncex, dude, I'm so glad to have you back. Uh, the audience is, you know, the, the solar, sh the solo shows were fine. <laughs> Um, but we're really, really just jazzed to have, uh, have <laughs> conversations back. So it's not this like weird, lonely, rambly 30 minute nonsense, but any final thoughts from you, man, now that we're, you know, back on the game here, anything else you want us to keep in mind as we sort of like roll through to the next week? I don't think there's anything in, in particular. I think a lot of what's been going on this year is just reiteration of what's been going on or being built up for a while now. And so the biggest thing to stress is just to have patience. I mean, it's, it's already end of August. So we're eight full months into the year. So the notion of patience after a 10-year bull market and eight months down seems like the longest time ever, um, but things will rebound. It, it will take time. Um, but again, this is, this is a multi-year journey investing. Um, and so when you look back in a few years from now, and hopefully if you even half listen to what we've been telling you, you'll be happy to know you bought companies at depressed prices and that you were able to make money uh, above, up and above what the market was. So that the next time this happens, because things move in cycles and we will have another recession or depression at some point over the, you know, the next 100 years, you'll be like, oh, well, I saw this happen before. I saw how things reacted. And then you can act appropriately on the next go around, not be fearful um, and just do what's necessary and have <laughs> the ability to sleep soundly at night. Um, so that's the, the biggest thing to stress right now is just patience, especially in these summer months when things aren't really going on and um, companies slow down a lot of their activities. And that's the main thing, right? Like we're really just trying to find those moments that make this work a little bit better. And so I'm really excited to keep maintaining that long-term perspective with you guys, audience. I'm really glad that we have these conversations back. Um, we're not going to do anything super irresponsible or say this is when peak inflation was. We're going to wait and see how that CPI shakes out in the next two weeks. But audience, I really appreciate your time. Thank you all so much for being here. Just so you know, audience, if you ever have any questions for us, you can hit us up at hello at mobi.co or here on Discord. This is recorded live on Discord when it's a conversation podcast, conversational podcast podcast what on there okay <laughs>
Well, I'll get deleted from the recording. Sick. Um, otherwise, audience, just check us out. He- check us out on Instagram and TikTok as well as we sort of like try to find other ways to educate you about the market. We're really excited to get you more long-term perspectives next week. We're going to finally dive a little bit more into the Inflation Reduction Act and see other aspects that are going to happen in green energy. Otherwise, audience, we're really excited to, you know, keep this going and we just really appreciate your time. So as always, we'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.